if your shoulders are squared, your voice, how you're leaning. And so my job is to make sure that the way that I communicate isn't influencing the dog, but we're interacting. You are listening to the Dude Nature Podcast. What's up, everyone? This is my so this is my interview with Susie Marlowe from Rogue Detection Teams. Rogue Detection Teams take rescue dogs and train them to assist in different environmental management projects. It's crazy what they can train these rescue dogs to do. And this could so like a project could be anywhere from finding endangered animals by sniffing out their scat to finding invasive plant species. Yeah, you can just have a dog run around in the wilderness and it'll just find all the invasive plant species for you of a certain um, a certain species you show it, which is crazy. But it's awesome that the life that they give these dogs and what they can train them to do. So without further ado, here's my interview with Susie Marlowe. So the conservation detection dog methodology is using dogs to be able to find either signs of wildlife. It could also include carcasses, whether it's a kill from an animal or mortality from a wind facility where the blades can actually strike birds and bats. They can also do plant detection work. And the basis of it is, is if a researcher has a question and that question is associated with a certain odor, Mm -hmm. for the most part, we can train dogs to say, okay, this is our odor. So very simply, if we're looking for cougars, we show the dogs a cougar scat. We put it on the ground. When they sniff it, we throw the ball. We do that over and over and over until the dogs are like, this poop is so magical. I get my ball every time I smell it. And that's the foundation of the work so that we can hopefully be able to assist researchers in answering the questions they have about wildlife, uh, the wild spaces that surround it, or plants that are in there. That's so cool. So just in a nutshell, basically, a like research group comes to you with some kind of question or needs some kind of help that has a sense. So let's say that's tracking some an animal or tracking a plant or something. And then, then you show the dog that scent and they can actually go and find those things out there. That's correct. And usually we we shy away a little bit from tracking in that there are dogs that actually can track like search and rescue. They'll go out and follow an odor to get to the source where our dogs, when we're out there, they're actually picking up a point source odor. So it's just a turd sitting out there that the wind or the air current is carrying and then the dogs work into it. So they're not following anything. I see. Okay. What's the craziest? What's the craziest thing you've ever had to train a dog to uh, to find? Mm, um, as as a career handler, I've done it for eight years. I actually traveled to Vietnam and Nepal looking for pangolins and seeing if dogs that. were able to detect pangolin scat. What's a pangolin? Did you say what is that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. A pangolin is a scaly mammal that is the most trafficked mammal in the world. More than elephants, more than tigers. And they are about, they people compare them to an anteater, but they are genetically distinct. They've got long sticky tongues and big claws. They can wreck termite mounds and their whole diet is of ants and termites. Okay. They live either underground or in trees. 
and they're the reason they're being poached is for uh, a delicacy as meat or for traditional Chinese medicine. People believe their scales, which are made of keratin like our fingernails, um, are beneficial for their health, which, of course, there's no proof. Right. So that's kind of like shark fin soup where it gives like male virality and they do the same thing. I it's Asen- it could not be it's like the worst thing ever. Um, so you train... <laughs> You train that you train the dogs to be able to find the penguin scout or sorry scat scout scat so you can be able to like take a census of how many penguins are in an area or is there a different reason Essentially yeah essentially the reason behind it was to get a fingerprint of the certain subpopulations so let's say in the country of Nepal you've got your central population your eastern population and your western population and they make a seizure in um, a port at an airport or at um, large seaports, and they find pangolin scales. Instead of saying, hey, this came from Vietnam, this must be where the problem is, what they did was actually, um, they, they wanted to see if they could extract the DNA from the scales to then say, oh, you know, we found this in Vietnam, but actually it's in uh, Nepal is where the animal is retrieved from. Okay, so how would you train a dog? Does how- that make sense? Yeah. How would you train the dogs to be able to, like, assist you with that? Because I, I cannot get my dog to hold, do hold it for, like, we've been working on hold it for, like, a month. I'm an idiot. So so it's probably just me. But how would you train a dogs to do, like, a complex task like that? It's hard. Yeah. No, that's a really great question. And honestly, when it comes to obedience work outside of doing this stuff... I, you know, I'm just as good as you are probably, but when you're much doing better the than work me. that I'm we're doing, again, we, we get a sample, let's say it's cougar scat. We put that scat out and the dogs learn, okay, when I find this, I get to play ball. So they're really eager to do it to start. So that's what is really important when we go to shelters or people approach us, we have to make sure not only is the dog able to do this work. But the number one thing that we need is that they're totally ball crazy. And some people think like, oh, I know a dog that likes to play fetch. And it's not like to play fetch. It's like love, 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 yeah. loves to play fetch. Kind of loose wire. And I met a dog where, you know, you hit all of the balls and she would pick up a dust bunny and be like, here, throw this. And you're like, oh, man, that is not right. <laughs> but and a lot of people don't typically want a dog like that in their house. They want to be able to chill out, maybe play some casual fetch. So typically they do end up in shelters. And so with that tenacity for the ball, again, we put that scat out and we associate it with the ball. Eventually we start hiding the scat in certain locations and the dogs learn, okay, I have to go find it. Then for them to be able to tell us like, hey, I've got a really good one over here. You should come over and check this out. They'll sit at the scat. And that's their indication of like, I found what you want. And now I get my ball. So we reward with the ball and then we'll collect the data. So when we're going through the environment, if we're looking for cougars, we'll be searching along old roads or in drainages or along ridge tops where the dogs are doing their thing. Dogs are doing what your dog probably loves to do as well. They're just sniffing around, sniffing around, sniffing around like crazy. Yeah. 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 And then the moment that they smell that target, you notice their head whip, their tail might change. It might start wagging rapidly and they get like oh i'm really close and you get to watch them work into the odor and then they'll sit you go up and check it out you give them the ball so once they learn that 
game with one scat or uh, one species of scat, then you can start training them on many different scents. We have one dog, Scooby, who's trained on over 30 different odors. So that kind of translates into all the other work that we do. Yeah. That's, that's, it's just, it's, what's crazy to me too is like just the way that you describe that is like because you have so much experience watching the dog. It's like when you talk about the tail whip and everything. So like when you have a dog, you like, you, you bond with it and you can like, I can tell my dog's emotions and it seems like becoming, and you guys call them bounders, right? Becoming is like a handler as you guys call them bounders. And becoming a bounder, like, so what was the hardest part about learning to read, to read dogs well, or even to get rid of the false negatives when, when they're just trying to get a reward? Yeah, yeah, you're asking kind of the right person because I struggled for a really long time. My personality when I came into this was like, I can do it. I'll put 150% in and I'll just work my butt off. But what you really need to do is come to the dog with this energy and this um, kind of this thing that you agree on of like, hey, I got your back, you got my back. And you're searching together. You're not, the reason we kind of came up with Bounder is Handler is usually associated with maybe narcotics work or something where somebody's asking a dog to perform and the dog that does that per, that performance. Um, and what we're doing is because we're eight, out there for maybe eight to 10 hours in a day, it's a lot of exploring. So I'm not just walking behind my dog, picking up anything that they find. I'm using my skill sets as a handler, as a, as a biologist, sorry, to be able to say, okay, again, if I use cougar again, okay, we're looking for cougar. I want to go up that drainage. That looks like a really good spot where there might be a cache, or I think we should check out this old road here and then drop down. So my job is to bring the dogs into the area where the animal is likely to have downloaded that brownware. Um, and yeah. then the dogs take it from there where they're going in and finding that odor from that spot. Now, anything that when you look at your dog, you're constantly communicating. If your shoulders are squared, your voice, how you're leaning. And so my job is to make sure that the way that I communicate isn't influencing the dog, but we're interacting still. So I'm going to say, hey, let's go check up this way. But the very first time I worked with a dog on a project, you know, I had them searching this log for a mink scat and I thought he had something. So I started staring at the log. So he's like, oh, she really wants me to search this log. Yeah, yeah. And he starts searching. And we're there for like 10 minutes where suddenly I'm like, there's nothing here. I totally just But, but they're just him. picking it. He's, he's, so they're picking in, up you, picking up the body language. Yeah, exactly. So making sure that you're neutral, but then also guiding them into the areas. They can do most of the work. I don't have to tell them to check every little spot, the ability for them to find something up to 200 meters away is phenomenal. I just have to make sure, hey, are we safe? Are we in the right area? Yeah. What's the, like, what is the most, what is the craziest story you have of like when you were really impressed by the power of one of your dog's noses, when you were like, that was amazing that they were able to find that? Oh, yeah. Um, we, so some of the projects, a lot of people see the pretty photos of like us on a mountaintop with the dog or yeah. you know we can convey this ooey gooey feeling there's a lot of projects where you're crawling you're getting your butt kicked you're getting branches whipped in your face um and i've done work where 
I'm looking for a um, mustelid scat or like a weasel. And I have someone out with me who she's actually near tears because the mosquitoes are biting, she, quote, the, they're biting on top of my bite. I f- yeah. So wait, mosquitoes okay. are really bad. I hate mosquitoes. Hate them. Go ahead. They hate them. <laughs> I just, I just, I, I yeah. totally agree that they freak I, me out too. Okay. Some people can't deal with it. I can't really deal with it, honestly. <laughs> I started rubbing mud on my face. I was like, this helps. And yeah. the big thing is, it's like, I can't get mad. Otherwise, I'm affecting my dog, right? So I have to make sure that whatever's kind of getting thrown our way, of course, you're going to feel feelings. But what you got to do is be like, okay, and we're going to get out of this in an hour and we're going to be okay. So I have mud on my face. We're crawling through um, edge stream habitat. And the bites are biting on our bites, according <laughs> yeah. to the person I'm with. And she's like, I want to get out of here. Yeah. And I was working uh, a 65-pound dog, Ranger, who this is his first project. So he's just like stoked. Yeah. And his ability throughout the crud that we crawled through to then find this one scat on an, in an area that was really important. I can't specifically talk about why because it is confidential but it was like boom here is the scat and I was like I knew her energy was really waning and it somehow fed into mine of like we're doing this and uh when he pinpointed that and she's like can we go I'm like nope there's a scat in here come on in oh my god <laughs> it was uh it it was very fun <laughs> <laughs> so talking talk, yeah talking about life as a as a bounder so it seems like Sometimes it it seems awesome. I see I see all the photos. That's like obviously the glory of it, and it does seem like really hard work because you guys are going across, following the dogs across really rugged terrain. It seems like so. Like what what is life like being being a bounder? Oh man, I would love for everybody to answer that here, but <laughs> essentially, um, you're probably going to be single or you're going to date someone uh, who has a very similar lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to see your family very often. Okay. You're going to be sleeping out of your car and your your worldly possessions could probably fit into your car. Um, and then you have two or three things that you will not travel without when you're doing this work, even if you're living in your car. So we're constantly on the road. Um, and that usually starts in April when the field season starts and then ends in November. Um, but essentially we're going to go from project to project. Maybe it's at a wind facility. Maybe it's doing backcountry work in Southern California or somewhere in Yosemite. So you kind of have to prep your next six months and be like, okay, I'm going to go from this project to this project to this project, but it'll probably change, but I'm going to pack for that. And then your day is essentially waking up before the sun gets up. You're going out and you're serving your back probably around three or four depending on what the place is where you're staying or if the temperatures are too hot mm-hmm. you're just trying to find a place to stay cool or stay warm and then you repeat for however many months and then we have this great he- new headquarters that we moved into last year that we all come back on here and we kind of joke it's like a commune <laughs> in that none of us are really able to afford you know having a, a house to pay for while we're gone the whole time. So uh, our goal is to be able to make some spaces for people up here that they can come back and just turn off 
kind of take care of their dogs, recalibrate, chill out a little bit, and then get ready for the next field season. That's awesome. I, I'm sure that when you do like when you do this job and be a bounder, like it, there's just like there's so I just feel like there's so many there's highs and lows, but the experiences are like are awesome. I feel like it would be basically impossible to go to another job. It would be like you know it'd just be like miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually. Yeah, I blew my ACL and I tried to leave because I was like, well, I'm not going to just can't walk around. Yeah, not do the field work. Yeah. So I tried to leave. And uh, within a year, I was like, I want back in. Give me in, man. I need that high. Yeah, yeah, I need yeah. to be out there with my dog. It's so cool. <laughs> so cool. And, and I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. For the dog for the dogs. Um, So is it like one dog per bounder? Or can everyone kind of manage the dogs, or do you split up to like a pair, basically? So for the most, when we start, I when I first started, I probably worked uh, seven different dogs within two years. Okay. And the reason is is that you learn a lot of different personalities. You learn uh, that you're not just kind of you don't get sucked into just one style of communication you learn a lot it's kind of like if you work with one person only you kind of learn how to work with them but then you have to work with someone else and you're like oh what makes you tick what are things that get you distracted what are things that you like so essentially we we kind of come in with this wholesome approach where we're we're getting all the different personalities and then after a while maybe two or three years you do kind of settle into maybe one or two dogs that's that's part of your team that being said this summer you know, I've worked with one of my dogs for six years. Not many other people have worked her, and I'd love for other people to work her because she's freaking hysterical. But I will probably have the opportunity to work some of our other dogs, and I really look forward to it because the relationship you get when you start working together with a dog, I, it's, it's just different than having a pet. Yeah. It's fun having a buddy and a pet, but when you are kind of in the thick of it or you're trying to figure something out, and you can do that with these dogs. You're like mental high fiving a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just hundred percent. You kind of overcome a lot of obstacles together. It. Yeah. It's like it's like a. It's like a partnership more. It's like a partnership and like it's like a colleague or it's like and you spend a lot of time with them and you accomplish goals together. That must be the yeah. coolest bond with a dog. Yeah. That must be really fucking cool, honestly. Yeah, and that's going to say, we there's some dogs where we will exercise them before the field work starts. So they they have a pretty a pretty sedentary lifestyle um, when we're when we're out of the field and that we're constantly managing to make sure their joints are healthy, their body's healthy. Um, and so we want to make sure that no unnecessary injuries happen. So we'll go running with the dogs. We'll go biking with them. And I swear they look at you like, oh, I really don't want to run. Yeah. I want to do something like, can we go work in the field instead? We have two dogs who refuse to bike because they're like, I know what this is and I don't want to do it. It's <laughs> they, not fun. They hate exercise <laughs> like we do. They hate, they hate exercise the same, <laughs> the same way. What's like, what's the funniest or most yeah. su- surprising thing? about working with the dogs that like that that like someone not working with you guys wouldn't know about something very surprising oh that's a that's a really good question um i think initially it's the when we get 
the dogs, whether it's from a shelter or from a family and an owner release, um, you know, they might have, especially from a shelter, they'll just have this pent up energy and they will be like a million miles an hour. And you just see this ball crazy dog. But once you start chipping away at that energy, once you start letting them just get it out and you play ball, um, being able to start seeing their personality and the way they kind of think about things, it is a little bit different for each dog. Um, but their ability, A, it's when you start seeing that personality kind of come out where you're like, oh man, did you just see the way she just looked at me before she went in to work into that odor? She looked at me like, watch this. Um, but then other times when a lot of people don't necessarily notice when that initial change of behavior happens. Um, and I think what gets me so excited is just seeing how hard they work to get into an odor where they're like, testing kind of the odor cone is essentially um the shape the odor takes as it comes off from the target sure typically it's like this triangle so they're working to get into it but then when you have trees you have water you have objects that that are like at a wind facility where things are on top of objects they have to really figure it out and watching them do it is just so fun and then so they get the ball and they're super excited and i think like the cherry on top is they then drop the ball to go find some, to go find another one. Cause they're as they're crazy it. as they are. They love the game. Yeah. That's so cool. What is, what is like, because it's awesome because you guys go down and you get, these aren't like purebred dogs that you're buying. Like these are, these are rescue dogs that they would either get euthanized or who knows, like honestly, who knows what really would happen to them. And you're taking them and giving them this awesome life. So do you see like when you get the dog from the rescue and they're a rescue dog, they've been, something's happened to them. What changes, can you watch the change in their personality from when they're trained to be like a full dog sniffer, full ready, ready to go pro? Yeah, I mean, yeah so like i feel like when they first come they're just kind of like all over the place um and and rightfully so you know the shelters are absolutely incredible the fact that they're able to pull these dogs off for streets or from bad situations and then they have such amazing volunteers that are like okay this dog not going to be great in a home we're going to try and find something else for it so without the shelter system that is here in the united states we wouldn't be able to find half the dogs that we do. Then you have people bringing them to us, which is even more astounding. But when we we got one of our dogs and um, we were kind of interviewing her, I say loosely, where we're just throwing the ball over and over again and it gets mm-hmm. thrown into a bush and she looks at it like, oh, oh no, that's gone. Like, I don't know what to do. And that's because she had never seen foliage really before she'd been more of in an urban area or kind of a concrete jungle and so i think initially people if they were assessing that dog would be like oh you know she doesn't quite have the drive she's not fearless and diving in there and then when she learned of like oh a leaf okay i get it she turned into this like monster warrior princess where (laughs) nothing got in her way that's that's winnie and she works with a super chill guy justin um but you see their confidence in the field of like, they see a log in the distance and they're like, whoa, what is that? And they're super freaked out. Sometimes that still happens like early in the morning. Yeah, they're like, what um, is that thing? <laughs> when they, yeah, when they first come, they're kind of like, what's this? What's that? And eventually you have dogs where if you're doing fisher work, which is, it's a large weasel and they like drainages, um, typically they'll, 
they'll defecate on logs that span the stream. And eventually they're just jumping up the logs, going over a stream like 20, 30 feet off the ground. And I'm like, oh, God, be careful. And they're like, what? No big deal. Can you come up here? There's a scat. I was going to ask you about this. I was going to ask you about this because one thing when I'm hiking with my dog, like one thing I get afraid of is cliffs. I don't know if it's irrational because mm -hmm. they get so close to like the cliffs because they just don't care. They get super close to the cliff. Yeah. And I'm always afraid that he's going to get super close to it and it's going to just some, just, you know, chaos is going to happen basically. Is that an irrational fear yeah. that I have? No, no, it's not because dogs can be pretty dopey sometimes. So depending on your personality yeah. that you're working with, you're going to be a little bit more like, hey, no, come on, clumsy, step away from there. But also unpredict unpredictable things can happen. Earth can slide, rocks can move. That being said, if your dog's kind of near an edge of a cliff and you want them to come back, the more you freak out of like, oh, God, get over here and yeah. you start acting weird. They're right. like, what? And they'll move funny. Um, so we, you know, we've, we've had accidents happen and, and specifically, I think we get hurt more often than the dogs because we're trying to prevent the dogs from getting hurt, but it's not very common that anybody even gets injured. Um, but the more you can kind of build that confidence together, um, there's my one dog, she used to never, like once she got to a boulder and I would have to have her step on my shoulders and then I would lower her like initially, if she saw that situation, she'd be like, nope. And she would turn the other way and run away because it freaked her out. But slowly through using a leash and using treats as well of being like, hey, we got this. We can work together. Then they kind of get confident of their surroundings. And they are able to sit like our dogs now can be like, oh, this is a wet rock. I'm not going to stand here. This is a dry rock. I know right. I'm good. So it kind of comes with experience. So I wouldn't say like, oh, yeah, you know, being on the edge of cliff is totally fine. But if you start working with your dog more and more, the more they kind of understand their boundaries too. Yeah, abs abs absolutely. I I love that. I saw, so like, I almost like want like a small, I want him, so he felt, so he was climbing a tree, you know, so he was like, he was crazy. He would climb a tree, my dog, run across the branch, just this tiny little branch. Eventually, and I was scared, eventually he fell and it like wasn't very far. But after that fall that he had, it was good because he has been more cautious. The pro the problem is that like when yeah, he, what I just find like the problem is like when I go to these high these high cliffs, it's like that's like the tenth time he's seen a high cliff in his life. He hasn't seen them very many times. So I'm like, is he just going to like do a little dance on the side? And you're just like, your heart is pounding. <laughs> it's I, dogs and cliffs. It's not my favorite. It's terrifying. Yeah, a leash and a harness goes a long way, at least to give you a little bit of peace of mind but yeah i mean sometimes they kind of have to learn like a toddler but then you're also not then when your toddler's near a cliff you're like get the heck away from yeah me. you're like i know <laughs> yeah a small cliff is good because then they can <laughs> fall and learn but the big ones are like there won't be any learning exactly i know um yeah <laughs> susie it was a great having you we have th i have three questions that we ask everyone just just to finish up okay um book recommendation okay for the listeners can be anything Oh, wait, no, I have one. Um, oh, no. No. Okay, well, book? I'm reading a book, a series of a book right now. It's a fantasy series. Don't, people don't judge me on this book. No, I love fantasy. I, I, I love fantasy. I'm, I'm reading fantasy series. I love fantasy. 
but it's it, it's kind of I, it's it's like a depressing Lord of the Rings almost, and and not as good as Lord of the Rings. And it really has been taking all of my energy, and I'm just like I'm finishing it because I want to know what happens, but I don't know if it's been an enjoyable series. It's called <laughs> the Echoes of Fate. Okay. Um, by Philip Quaintrall, and um, you know, there's like nine books, and I'm I'm Are you on at nine? seven, and oh, I, just, I have there. to see it through. You have to see it through. I yeah. hate I hate that when you're stuck though in that, and you're just like I don't even know if I'm like it. Like I'm just like need to finish. I need to know something good happens at the end. Please <laughs> God. I just I just finished a book series uh-huh. like that. And then, you go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I finished- oh, I was gonna say, and then if anybody wanted a dog book, we always recommend um, the Monks of New Skeet. And it's how to be your dog's best friend. So if you wanted to tie that in. Wait, that sounds but awesome. Echoes of Fate. Yeah, that one too. The, okay, Echoes of Fate for fantasy. And then the dog book is The Monks of New Skeet. Yes. How to be your dog's friend. I like that. How to be your dog's, how, how to be your dog's best friend. That's awesome. I like I that one. Is, All right. Yeah. Um, spirit animal. I'm going to say for, for rules, can't be a dog. So non-dog spirit mm-hmm. animal. I mean, uh, inside secret, most people here aren't weren't really dog people. There were two people who were cat people before they came here. So that is really surprising. We kind of joke that we're not like. I know, I know, but anyway, um, I, the one that always comes to mind is an otter. Cool. Um, or a wolverine. I'll go between the two. <laughs> those are very different. <laughs> One's very cute and cuddly. One's very ferocious. A wolver, a wolver otter. <laughs> a wolver otter. There you go. Last one. Favorite outdoor activity that is not running around with the dogs. Uh, I think swimming in high alpine lakes. Hell yeah, hell yeah. It's cold, but it's worth it. Cold, but so worth mm-hmm. it. Susie, thank you so much for coming on. It's great talking to you. Where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find us at roguedogs.org, R-O-G-U-E. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. They're super awesome. And we're slowly building up a YouTube channel. And we're making an education program for kids that will be coming out on our website soon. Hell yeah. All right, Susie, thank you so much. That was great. Of course. Thank you. Thank you.